Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't, But You Do. We have stories and conversations about people that are exceptional, people that go above and beyond, people that do what most people don't do. My name is Bart Berkey. I'm the CEO and founder of Most People Don't. We are thrilled to have a very unique and talented gentleman as our guest today. His name is Alexi Kajabi. I will read a little bit about Alexi and then we will dive right into some questions. Today's guest is the president of hospitality and travel for Questex LLC. They are a global business intelligence company that informs and connects buyers and sellers across five key sectors. The five sectors are hospitality, travel, healthcare, wellness, and technology. He is responsible for the overall management and development of the company's global hospitality and travel communications. The properties and events, including the flagship assets like the International Hotel Investment Forum, Summit Series, the Bar and Restaurant Expo, Ultra Travel Summit, and so many other ones that I'll make sure that I include into the show notes. Alexi brings more than 20 years of travel technology and hospitality, media, and aviation experience to his position, and he joined Questex in 2014 as head of hospitality and hotel investment. Alexi, welcome to the podcast. Bart, nice to be here. Thank you. And so grateful for all the connections that I shared with you on our previous call. Just a little bit about my background, hospitality world, pandemic hit, and I decided I wanted to explore communicating, motivating, inspiring people, and have been so fortunate to be introduced to some remarkable individuals. So I do need to do a little shout out to David Goldstone with WCI, because when I asked him, I said, David, this was such a great conversation. Who else should I talk to? And he's just like, do you know Alexi? I was like, no, but I know his name. So I'm grateful for David for the introduction. You have David's done good. so much in the industry, connecting buyers and sellers. But it started way back when working for a tour operator. So for our listeners, Alexi, I would love to be able to hear a little bit about your background and how you got started, I'll say in the business world, because I know that it was not your intent to get into hospital, hospitality and travel and tourism. So what are your thoughts? How did it start? Yeah, there's no question. I, I am a proud stumbler into, into business and frankly, the, the sort of life that uh, path that I found. I studied anthropology at the University of California. My, my parents, I think, thought either you want to become Indiana Jones or you have no idea what you're doing. But I knew that I, I loved culture and I, I loved travel. And that was way back since I was a teenager. And I just, fortunately or by happenstance, I was hired by a nonprofit association in San Francisco uh, called Global Exchange, and they were doing educational trips to Cuba, as well as Chiapas and uh, many other sort of developing countries. And uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, participate, uh, promote, and then even join uh, a number of the trips to both Cuba and Chiapas in southern Mexico. And once I did that, I, I really got the bug of the the travel industry. Um, it combined both my personal uh, passion for 
for travel and for culture and food and meeting new people and adventure. But it was burgeoning at that time and and it was, you know, still early days. I was then really fortunate to join a uh, a travel tech startup in San Francisco uh, called unexplored.com and it was trying to be an early stage kind of Expedia connecting demand pur- purchasing travel online with adventure travel. The reality was is that they were sending me all around the world trying to sign up the suppliers. But in essence, the way they were booking was still telephone and, and a fax was the most advanced the value chain, if you will, at that time. So we were a little bit ahead of our time. But I was being paid to travel around the world and to meet these suppliers. And they were doing incredible things, whether they were eco lodges or tour operators or river rafting guides. And most of my career was really set in travel and in hospitality from the early days. And I've been fortunate, really fortunate uh, to continue to have that opportunity because this is an incredible industry. It's a powerful industry. It's 10% of global GDP, 9% of uh, global employment. Uh, but it's still for the last, since 1995, when I you know graduated, it still is fragmented and bifurcated today as it was back then. So really the opportunities are immense and I'm just very fortunate to uh, to have been able to make a living and really develop just a network of incredible people, friends and colleagues in the industry. Yeah, Alexi, I was going to use the, the term adventurous, but you threw that out there and it is now all making sense. Before I do the interviews, I try to research a little bit about our guests. Of course, we had the pre-call, but now it is making sense. The whole anthropology, conservation, biology, Indiana Jones, that is all about adventure. You did mention that you were talking, you shared a little bit about that travel, even as a teenager, was important. Tell us about growing up. Were your parents adventurous? Were your parents encouraging you to travel? What did that look like? Because I always try to get to the essence of who a person is. This is what you are now, president of hospitality and travel for Questex. But how did it start? What were your early influencers? I grew up in San Francisco, born and raised. My 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 father came from Iran, but he came back in nineteen early mid nineteen fifties before the uh, the revolution, and he came as a sixteen year old by himself. And so my dad has always been a, been an adventurist. Uh, he's been a traveler. He's basically a nomad uh, by choice. He loves to move around and would drag us all around as well. My mom comes from a very sort of traditional American Scottish background. Her father was Chet Huntley, which was the old, the sort of famous broadcaster, the Huntley Brinkley Report. Yes, uh, and um, and then ultimately that side of the family all came from Montana. My granddad started Big Sky Montana, and so we our childhood was really about travel, whether it was going spending summers in Montana and fishing or skiing in the winter or getting dragged around on trips by my dad where we would literally be sleeping in the back of his BMW 3, 350i, 320i. And uh, we'd wake up where we'd wake up. We'd sleep where we would sleep. Um, so it's always been instilled in me yeah. to keep moving around and to keep experiencing and opening yeah. yourself up to new opportunities. So it really was stuck in me from an early age. 
that that life gets pretty interesting around the corner. And if you just cross the river, go around the bend, take that left turn, and just keep going a little bit further, that there's often some interesting conversations, some good food, and and a cold beer somewhere down the road there. And all those would lead to, to good things. So I do give a lot of credit to my parents for really just opening up the possibility that travel was a and is a passion and a path that's worth exploring and that the exploration never ends. It can be just across the street and it could be across the world, but travel is something that, frankly, I'll do to the day I die. Yeah, amazing. Now, did you all siblings, brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got an older brother. He's a pilot, uh, flies 747s around the world. So on any given day, he's in China or Mongolia or some other parts of the country as well. So he he clearly got got raised in the same cut from the same cloth, as they say. And, and that's what happens often. Curious, as you just described your father, 16-year-old coming in coming from Iran by himself, you have to be adventurous. Did yeah. your mother, you, you said traditional American, Scottish descent, did she come from the world of travel? Did she get exposed to that as well? Because it's an interesting, might be an interesting pair, right? Your mom and dad. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Didn't last very long, but she she was. She traveled pro- perhaps in a bit more of a gilded fashion than my dad, given the family that she was she grew up with. But yeah, she moved from LA to New York when when my granddad got the job at NBC News and then was sent to Italy for a period of time and lived in Rome at the age of 18. She in fact came home and met my dad who was delivering I think some food to the door or something as the story goes. And she thought he was Italian because he was dark and uh, tall and handsome, as they say. But uh, yeah, that's what the start of it was. And they traveled a lot together. The road trips were big. They would they would go from San Francisco across the Golden Gate Bridge and head north to Mendocino and Sonoma and Napa Valley before it was so famous. We spent a lot of time in Lake Tahoe. But yeah, the travel was really something I think my entire family very much did as a it's just something we would do over the weekends. Any free time we'd have, we'd try and go explore somewhere and see something new. I love the quote, Alexa, that you said, life gets interesting around the corner. When you are not traveling, even today, does it get boring for you? I know you live in a great place, right in Utah. You have skiing yeah. out your doorsteps. You have walking and hiking and trails in nature. Does it get boring if you're not on the go? The older I've got, I've always, when I was younger, I, I and I was moving around. I didn't have my own sort of apartment. I was sharing it. I had roommates. I always had this vision in my head that I would have my own abode, my own Casa Kajavi, with my books on the bookshelf, some mementos from my travels around. And uh, touch wood, I'm very fortunate to to have that. And so having a home base where you can decompress and uh, I have a, a just a beautiful family, uh, my wife, and we've got two daughters, to be able to 
just spend some time and not be rushed and really engage with both family and friends. That for me is a, it replenishes me and allows for me to live very fortunately in a nice place. Now, because we live here and we were living in London for several years, our HQ is in New York, but I'm a big believer in business gets done face to face. And so I do often travel. I, it seems to be at the two week mark. If I'm home for two weeks, I, I start to get a little bit antsy. And I actually think my wife gets a little bit antsy for me to start to hit the road as well. That two week mark is really where I start to think, all right, I, I need to go somewhere. And look, I'm fortunate that I do get the opportunity and, and it's my job to to connect people and to inform. So it's probably two to three weeks is the maximum that I'm home, but often I'm on the road every week. Yeah. Yeah. But that's where the adventure lies. Yeah. And yes. I, as, as you just shared, it's nice to be able to come home and have family there, obviously, and have books on your bookshelf. And often we'll uh, just for fun, we'll tour model homes or people that are selling their homes. And in our neck of the woods outside of Northern Virginia, D.C., we have seen some incredible places. And it will always amaze me if a former CEO is selling their home and you're touring through it, you see the library with tons and tons of books. And I just always wonder, does a person that has this much money that has dedicated for business success do they ever have time to enjoy their pool in their backyard, the library that they have, the home office, the home theater, or are they always dedicating to working so much that it's hard for them to find that balance? It then brings up the question to you with regard to you're doing face-to-face, -face, you're connecting buyers and sellers, you're adventurous, you're traveling around the world. How are you able to maintain and find, I won't say balance because I think it's overused. How are you able to have work-life integration? It's a journey. It's not a destination. And it's made up by daily decisions in small increments. And I think hopefully at the end of your life, you realize that you did your best and you achieved some sense of balance. But I agree with you, Bart. I, I don't think that there is a an equilibrium that you ever achieve. You're, you're always trying to find that balance. It's a bit like surfing. You just got to find that even plane, that even flow to, to catch the best wave and be in the best part of that wave, the wave being, being life, perhaps to use the allegory. It's a constant challenge. I won't lie to you. And, and there are times when I'm way off kilter. Uh, I think the, the biggest, the biggest and most important a component to at least being on the path is to be self-aware. You have to be self-aware of your frame of mind, your, your the, the health of your body, and your ability to how much you can take on. And that's always been, I think, one of my biggest challenges. And I'm fortunate I, I've gotten some mentoring, mostly through a a lens of professional jobs, careers, the various or Myers-Briggs and so forth. But I have a tendency 
to say yes to everything. It's my default. And I was taught or I was told that sometimes when you say no, you're in fact saying yes to something else because you just can't do everything. And so I really try to think about before I say yes, which is my natural inclination. Hey, you want to do this? Can you do that? Can you be here? Meet me you know, there. I tend to want to say yes because I'm open for it. But I have to realize that I've got a, a busy life. I, I, I need to take care of myself. I need to dedicate myself to my family and my friends, my community, if you will, my health and my well-being, but then also my career. And all of those things are, are very important to me. But I'm always in a state of uh, trying to find balance within there. And I yet, to your point, Bart, I know that balance is not the, you're never going to reach it, right? There's not, it's not like tomorrow at 4 p.m. I'm going to say, oh, I, I got it. My Fitbit says I'm in equilibrium. That won't happen. I'm really tuned into, and maybe it's because I watched it with my kids last night, This, the Blue Zones. Yes. I just think that that's an incredible thing that there are five, six destinations around the world that share these characteristics. And all of them have a, a much higher propensity for centenarians per capita. And not just that they're living longer, but they're living active. They're living vibrant lives at an older age. So that to me is really, I'm really intrigued by that. And I love the community. I love the food. I love that they're active. If you live in a village that's very steep, that's one of the characteristics that you're just walking. You have to walk up your village. You're bending down. So those things to me, I think, are what keep life interesting. And I hope to be be in a blue zone or living a blue zone life. Park City is not the worst place in the world for you to be living, to be able to get outside and enjoy right nature, for sure. You had referenced a little bit about self-awareness, and that is probably the greatest theme that I'm talking, when I'm talking to individuals. We're on episode, I think, 104, 105 at this point. And uh, the best leaders are self-aware. They know what they're good at. They know what they're not good at. They know what they like to do. They know what they don't like to do. You just even summed it up by saying you're adventurous. You don't want to miss anything. So your first inclination is to say, yes, Bart invited you on a podcast. Yes, let's do it. Okay. It's the Friday before Labor Day. Is that okay? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. So I appreciate what you're saying, but then also even thinking about how can I improve? How can I get better? How can I do something special for my wife and my daughters? All of those things people are really not thinking about. And, and I'll share this with you. There was a study done, Alexi, that said 85% of Americans within 15 minutes of waking up will immediately go to their mobile phone. And it's yeah. for a variety of different reasons. Yes, to look at the time is probably the least important thing to look at the time, but just to see what are they missing, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on. And to be able to step away from that allows you to identify the direction that you want your adventure for the day to go in. And think about that documentary that you just had shared. I don't even know if they're using much technology, these people that are 100 years old, 110, 112, they are mingling with their friends. They're having good conversations. 
They're outside. They're making and growing their own food. It's that whole sense of community. So I love your appreciation for what you are sharing. And you can do it together. You bring your girls and your wife with you on the next trip. And I'm sure you do those types of things. Yeah, yeah. The pandemic, I, I mean, I, the pandemic was awful, right? But it did a couple of things, which I'm eternally grateful for. One is I didn't travel for 10 months straight. We were living in London. And where I did travel, we snuck into Italy, not snuck in, but it was open in that sort of summer of 2020. We saw Lake Como and Venice. You haven't seen it in 100 years. And my kids probably think it's like that every day, but little do they realize. So I, I had an incredible amount of time with my family, which I don't think I ever would have got uh, otherwise. Um, but I think the other thing that uh, has come out of the pandemic is we've now broken down, I think, the front of house and the back of house. And in the old days, we, our house in London, in fact, the kitchen was cordoned off. You just you didn't cook. Now, open floor plans are, are, are what's in. But also, I'm on calls with my, with my colleagues or with other people in the industry. And people have their kids. They have their cats. They have their dogs. Now, some of it gets a little, maybe a little too much. But look, that's life, right? We are complicated and complex entities with a lot of stuff going on in our lives. And I think to some extent, the breakdown of vocation and recreation mm-hmm. is a good thing because it really is a more holistic, transparent represent- representation of who we are. So to your point about leadership, um, transparency and authenticity, I think, are the two unquestionable components and characteristics that good leaders need to have. And empathy and and even being uh, a, a bit vulnerable. This idea that a leader has to be a Superman or a Marvel character, that's not, that's not reality. That's a false sense of reality. I think, I think that for me is one of the areas where it, it is an area that I can continue to explore and to try to cultivate. Um, the other thing I'm really interested in right now, maybe it's because I'm just getting older, is I really am enjoying other people's success and mentoring some of the younger colleagues. I just, I, I get such joy out of other people's success. When I was younger, hand on heart, I wanted to take the glory, right? It was, I, I wanted to score the winning goal. I wanted to get recognized. And I think we all did it at, at younger. But as you start to get older, you realize, I don't need to go catch the biggest fish. I just, frankly, I just want to go fish, right? I'm just happy. I don't even need to catch fish. So I think those are the interesting things that are occurring. And I hope more people tap into that because we're living in a very complicated time right now. We, see, we tend to be very polarized. But in reality, we've never had, an, I think, a more opportunistic time in human history to be educated, to be have exam have opportunity of growth and income, not to discount all the challenging things that are happening, but it's a great time to be a leader because you can use you've got a you got a you got a great toolbox for which to incentivize, motivate, and frankly nurture uh, a team of people. And that's a that's a good thing. It's a good position to be in. I'm I'm really fortunate. 
Yeah. Alexi, in your role currently as president, did you always feel that you were going to be a leader of people? You shared a little bit your first job as a tour operator, and then you were helping out with the marketing of a new airline for Costa Rica. And then you were in sales and doing this. Did you always feel that you were going to be a leader? Was that the goal? This episode of podcast, Most People Don't But You Do, is brought to you by Cozy Fell. If you're looking for the softest and most comfortable faux fur blankets, look no further than Cozy Fell. They're dedicated to providing top quality products in beautiful packages, making you the star of gift giving or the recipient of true gratitude. Cozy Faux offers a wide range of products, including robes, scarves, throws, baby blankets, and pet blankets, in addition to their signature blankets. These Cozy Faux throws have been handmade using the finest luxurious faux fur since 2007, and each one is proudly made in the USA. Cozy Faux also believes in giving back. For every 20 blankets sold, they donate one to unitedharmony.org to help those in need stay warm and cozy. Visit their website at CozyFaux.com to see what makes this company so special. Don't settle for anything less than the best when it comes to comfort and style. Choose CozyFaux today. It wasn't the goal. I think I had an ego. I, I, was, I was kind of a cocky kid. I was good at sports. And so I, yeah, but I didn't manifest like I want to be a leader. Um, but I was really, by being exposed to some good leaders that I, I think started to appreciate what leadership was. You then realize that leadership carries a, a heavy burden. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Not, not that I wear a crown in any sense, but it comes with responsibility. It can be lonely. And the other thing that you start to realize is that everybody's got a boss, right? I got a boss. A boss has a boss. Uh, my boss's boss has a boss. Like, it, it, it never ends, right? Someone's always reporting to somebody else or accountable to someone else. I'm very fortunate that I, I've got a, I'm on an executive team that is frankly the best executive team that I've ever worked with. We're very close to each other. We all have a deep amount of respect for one another and we all bring different perspectives. We don't always agree with each other, but my CEO, our CFO, our CMO, my my colleague, our other group president, we all went through a crisis together, which I think brings teams together. We know we can go through it. And uh, that, I think, is also, right, as you uh, you talked about a study, Harvard did a study, and they were questioning what makes kids successful. Yeah. And don't quote me, but I'm, I'd almost put money on this. I think it was 99%, meaning 99% of a child's success was attributed to who they hung out with, who was in their peer group. And that just goes to show that if you hang out with the right people, if your community is enriching and uh, encouraging and motivating and, and giving you good examples, then you know what? You're going to aspire to that. But the adverse is true as well. If you hang out with the wrong group or the wrong tribe, you're going to adopt those as well. We're, yeah. we're, we are communal social beings. So I think leadership is about not the title or not where you your box is on the org chart and the hierarchy, 
but it's about how you live your life and how you make decisions every day and surrounding yourself with people, regardless of where they are on the org chart, that can motivate you, teach you, give you different points of view. And, uh, and that's what I think leadership is. Mm-hmm. And it also sounds like the environment, the right culture and environment that allows you to be yourself and yeah. to be authentic and to say, I'm good at this. I'm not so good at that. I like doing this, right? That whole self-awareness, because sometimes, and I've seen this before in the past, people think that when they're in a certain role, they have to be a certain way and act a certain way. And that doesn't last very long because it doesn't allow them to be their true authentic self. Just a few more questions, Alexi, if you're okay with that. Westex, I know, does amazing things by connecting buyers and sellers. The segment that you are responsible for as president within Questex, very passionate about it. I'm familiar with all of the events that your group puts on. Recently, I've been talking to organizations about thinking next. Hmm. Now we are so busy with certain things that are coming at us. It's often difficult to hit the pause button to think, what is next for our customers, next for communication? Next for talent, next for social interaction. It's just the whole next acts aspect. I know we learned a lot about face-to-face meetings and then not having them during the pandemic. How have you and your team gathered information and how are you using information from what the pandemic taught you and taught QuestX about anticipating what you need to do next? Mm. We are structured around markets, as you read out in the beginning of the podcast. So we are, as a company, structured around our customers. So that is really the ethos of what we do, is we don't structure around products. We don't structure around PR people. We structure around our customers and everything is wrapped around and deeply immersed in those markets. So we take an outside in approach to everything we do. What's the customer say? What's the trend happening here? What is this important to them? Because it doesn't matter if it's important to us. Yeah, we've got to make money. We've got to drive a profit and create shareholder returns. But at the end of the day, if it's not going to resonate with our customers, then it ain't going to work. That's really point number one. At the end of the day, in fact, we wouldn't have made it through the pandemic. And now we're bigger, better, more profitable, more efficient than pre-pandemic because it really gave us an opportunity to get really close to our customers. We weren't making any money, particularly in my markets, although healthcare and life sciences has really saved our company. Hospitality, travel, and wellness was absolutely nothing. Those markets were decimated. But we just got really, we got even closer to our customers and we restructured even deeper around those markets. So I would say in terms of what next, just talk to your customers. And people make it so complicated. We have to have a focus group and we have to hire an agency. I'm not saying don't do that, but just pick up the phone. Just hop on the plane, go to Dallas. Just take the, the, the woman to lunch. We overcomplicate these things. So I think that's the key of understanding your market, understanding your customers, and really having care and curiosity about those markets. And we do. We we really love the markets. 
we operate in. Now, we don't love them so much that we don't critique them. We hold them accountable. And we call them to it when they're when we feel like the market's underperforming or whatever it may be. I think the challenge uh, that we have just in terms of what next, and, and it's just a question is, on one hand, we have seen that our events have always been where buyers and sellers connect. And that's really a core value proposition that we deliver and we adhere to. Since the pandemic, we're also seeing that our customers are using our events to get their teams together. Mm. Because so many of us are working remote now, or so many of them are working remote now. And so it's become a sort of a multi-sided platform for a buyer-seller relationships, as well as internal organizational culture building and relationships. And that's a good thing. We see an immense opportunity in that. The interesting thing is, though, is that us, like those companies, We've largely just hired for talent. We we have an HQ in New York, um, but I didn't move from London back to New York. My fortunately, my my employer, my CEO, said, "Okay, you can move elsewhere, but you've got to do your job." Now, I've got thirty years of experience. We because we're marketing, we're media. We tend to get a lot of young people that want to be in that in this creative industry. How does somebody at 25 get onboarded? How do you bring them into a culture when they're working at their kitchen table and they've had no physical engagement? They don't sit next to somebody. I think that's going to be the real challenge. We we have no issue with those of us that have been working for 10, 15 years. Uh, many of us have already worked together in the office for years. So we're okay. But I, I'm really tuned into... because. I just don't think that the mandates of bringing people back in the office are going to work. As far as I'm concerned, the benefits are healthcare, 401k, and remote working. Right. And it doesn't matter that you want them in the office or that your office costs you $5 million a year in Manhattan. They don't care. And so that, I think, is going to be a really interesting thing that plays out. I think it benefits events. I think it benefits hospitality. I think mm-hmm. hotels can serve as an interesting place to convene. But I think office is a really, and culture for businesses is going to be a, a very interesting area to keep an eye on. You just gave me three new topics for me to discuss. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's three better people. Yeah, exactly. Sure well, three no, better people to talk about it than me. Yeah, no, you, it's really, it's, gosh, as you say it, and I'll share this quick story with you. We were in Prague. Uh, our son just finished film school. I think he maybe had shared with you over in the Czech Republic. And yeah. we went over for his graduation ceremony and celebrated a few days, traveled around Europe. We met so many people, so many p- young kids, 23, 26, 27, that were saying, I'm so bored, I don't know what to do. And it's probably because they didn't have a culture or a community. The documentary that you were sharing didn't have that. And one young kid, probably about 26, said, I like living in Prague because I like the traffic. Now, I have never heard anyone saying that he likes, he or she likes traffic. 
And so my immediate question back was, why? They said, I like traffic because it doesn't make me feel lonely. And that kind of broke my heart. Like the, the gentleman, right, 26-year-old, working from home. You're right. He was doing you know, public relations remotely. His company was based in New York City. But he liked living in Prague because the traffic made him feel like he wasn't alone. And that is something that we can do collectively in our industry. I can do as a motivational storyteller. We can provide solutions and create something because you're right. right? It's the connectivity. And that's why those people are living to 110 years old, 112 years old, not because yeah. they're on a Zoom call. It's because they're breaking bread with with people and with friends. Yeah, so, absolutely. The sense of purpose, right? Yeah. You know, you, you, there was this Japanese term called ikigai, which again, I just watched it last night. So, so, so. Don't, I'm with you. I'm with you as an expert. Um, but it, it's, it, me, it combines life or alive with purpose. And so it's that you have to have this sense of purpose and the, the centenarians and the older generation in these communities, they were active members, right? It's not like they were just sitting in a corner on a chair watching uh, The Price is Right. God bless Bob Barker, by the way. Uh, he will be sorely missed. It's that whether you're 20, whether you're 40, or whether you're 80, or whether you're 112, you, know, you got to have a, you got to be a member of the tribe, right? And you got to have a purpose. And when you're 20 and you're working at your kitchen table, you never met your colleagues, or you're 120 and you're sitting there in the corner of the room on a lazy boy with the TV on 10 hours, I do get worried about that. Not that I get worried about that, but I wonder about that. Where is their tribe? Where is their community? And I think that's something we're going to have to, to watch because this is great. This is incredible that you and I can look at each other and have an engaging conversation and then we can distribute it on your podcast and others can engage with it. But at the end of the day, I'd much rather be sharing a, a couple of tacos and a cold beer with you somewhere. And hopefully that's the next conversation. Yes. But if you're not doing that enough, then where's your tribe? And I think, I don't know, there's positives and negatives to this remote world that we're that that we're living in, particularly around work, where we tend to spend a lot of time at. Yeah. How can we provide greater connectivity? Someone had used the example. They said, we have people that are fresh out of school, have been working with us for a year, and they have never breathed the same air as their other colleague. Never met them. How will they understand what the culture looks like? How will they understand certain decisions to make? How will they build extra relationships that go deeper than just transaction? Yeah, we were on a meeting today. We talked. Okay, great. But there is more to that. Uh, and I love that you shared that, Alexi, and thank you, because I, our listeners, and this will go out to over 100,000 people, we're looking for ideas and solutions. And it doesn't have to be you with the idea and the answer or me with the idea of the answer. It can be all of us. And that's, that is the beauty of this type of format that we can yeah. share. The next element of Questex, it's not only connecting buyers and sellers, but it is connecting people. It's connecting teams. As a result, yeah. yes, there's going to be 
transactions that take place. Of course, we all need to show a profit. But the thing that is the most important, it's those relationships that are going to last a lifetime. Yeah. I'll end, I'll end with this last question for you. And again, Alexa Kajabi, Kajavi, president of hospitality and travel for QuestX. Just, I appreciate conversations like this because it's not surfacy. I often will ask the question, Alexi, when I'm presenting to groups, who won the Super Bowl the last seven years? Can you rattle them off? Most people cannot. Who won America's Got Talent or American Idol the last 14 years? Most people cannot. I asked the question, who remembers their favorite elementary school teacher and why? Almost every single hand goes up. And when I ask, why? And like Miss Burroughs in first grade, she played music for us on her guitar and she made me feel recognized. She made me feel special. That's the power of our industry. That's the power of connections. That's the power of you being a leader have the ability of making people feel a certain way. And I'm so blown away and impressed. I'll put in another, another plug for one of your team members, uh, Mary Malloy. Uh, we were talking about her vision for the conference that she's doing in June. And she said, uh, she was just telling me that she wants it to be more than just a trade show, more than just people meeting. She wants it to be an experience that yeah. people will remember and talk about after the fact, just like I can tell you about Miss Burroughs and my first grade teacher, right? More than yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. Last question for you. How do you have the ability of making people feel a certain way? How do I have the ability of making people feel a certain way? Wow. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. It's funny you ask me that because I've, I often say, I've never changed anyone's feelings or, or frame of mind. I, I, I like to say we are, we're not in the business of changing people's feelings or opinions. All we're in the business of is informing and connecting. What they, That last mile, that's up to them. So I think you have to approach it from a very neutral and pure, honest perspective of, look, I'm just going to give you the information. You take it as you wish. Don't take it at all. Perceive it as you wish. That's a that's probably beyond my and certainly our capabilities. I believe in, I'm a big believer in, in information and the media. And that's a, that unfortunately, just that statement alone in the climate we're living in is a controversial statement, right? People don't believe the news anymore. And and some of it's not worthy of believing for that matter. But I, I do miss, just give the facts, just present the facts. I, don't give me your opinion, just present the facts. And I, I do believe that people are smart enough within their own context to, uh, to make up their own minds. Yeah, I don't, I don't worry about changing people's feelings. In fact, my kids remind me all the time, Dad, don't try and solve my problems. Uh, Just let me talk to you. Just let me... Uh, yeah, my, my daughters tell me that all the time. Like, Dad, Dad, whoa. Just don't... You're always trying to solve our problems. Just 
just let me tell you about my problems. Tell that's me about my challenges. Wow. And that's empathy and that's doing decency and that's listening. And that's all the skills that you exhibit as a terrific leader, Alexi. Kind of wild that it's coming from your kids. Okay. Yeah, you know, just I just need you to listen. I'm gonna be able to be empowered to make my own decisions, but I just need you to listen. And that really goes full circle with what you're doing with QuestX and what your team is doing with QuestX. You are presenting information, truthful information. You are providing the environment for connection of buyers and sellers across these five key sectors. After that, yes, and you're going to tailor the experience. After that, it's up for them. It's up to them to be able to make the connections, be adventurous, see if life gets interesting around the corner by actually attending the networking event instead of staying up in your room and watching something on Hulu or Netflix, right? It's up to them to be able to do. Last thing I want to share with you, Alexi, you just talked about solving problems. And I was curious as a, a, a keynote speaker and as a sales and service trainer, I'm trying to identify what problems can I help to solve? As an example, I was presenting to a forklift dealership, believe it or not, in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago. And their challenge was their, their talent's hard to find great salespeople. It's hard to retain them. That was one thing. The other thing, timing. They don't have enough time to look at all the resources there to help them to do their jobs better. That was another thing. And then talking. How can they have more meaningful conversations with customers that are more busy than ever before? So that was their challenge. That was their problems. And then I was to give them some ideas how to think differently with a growth mindset to be able to solve those. So I was just curious. I typed into Google, and this was just last night. What are the most often typed in questions into Google, into the internet? The number one question, and I, I, I don't even dare ask because it, it, there might not be any relevance to it, but is how many ounces are in a cup? 9.1 million people on average per month. That is the number one question. Then the second one is, what can I watch in TV? What time is it? Where's my refund? Things like that. But the number one question that people need an answer to is, how many ounces in a cup? And I thought, what if I were to be able to solve that problem for all of humanity? And you're going to laugh, yeah. and I'll send this as soon as we're done. I'm just almost done with my newsletter for the week. I created a t-shirt that said, one cup equals eight ounces. And it's going to be on my website in about 10 minutes. But when we're talking about what are the problems to solve, we can guide, we can direct people a certain way, but eventually it's up to their to themselves to take the initiative to solve the problem. So we will see, um, I might be a billionaire by the time the t-shirt gets launched. Uh, eight ounces in a cup. I'm just really pleased because the most Googled thing in the spring of 2020 was what is force majeure? <laughs> You're absolutely right. That's right. And so, so we're hoping the next Google question is, how can I connect with the buyers and sellers even better? Where's the next Questex event going to take place? How's that? Yeah. That's well, good for a subtle plug. Yeah, Manchester, England, at least in my group, although we've got Digital Pharma East 
in Philly in a couple of weeks time. And then I, and which is my, my, my colleagues yeah. uh, event in life sciences. And then we're in, we're going to be in Manchester, England on uh, the 10th and the 11th of September connecting uh, England, English hoteliers, British hoteliers with uh, investors, advisors, yeah. brokers, and so forth. So Amazing. I'll be there. And uh, I've really enjoyed this. Thanks, Barbara. Oh, really good conversation. Yeah, no, what a pleasure. Alexi, I just want to mention Questex. Easiest way to learn more about Questex is through the website, which is Questex, Q-U-E-S-T-X.com. Alexi's last name is spelled K-H-A-J-A-V-I, president of the hospitality and travel division for Questex. What an absolute joy. What a pleasure. I'm thrilled to be able to meet people that do, people that go above and beyond, not only for leadership, but just for kindness in general. Alexi, what a, what a pleasure. Thank you again. No, Bart, my, my pleasure. Nice to talk to you as well. Thank you so much.